This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of May 2nd, 2022. And Emily, how have you been? Uh, it's it's been it's been a very intense week. Uh, I did not know that a splinter could be debilitating, but uh, we are we are learning all kinds of new medical things in my family this week. I'm not the person with the splinter. It's my it's one of my kids. But yeah, it turns out that um, that can be a serious medical situation, which is uh it's it's been intense um on the bright side i have been reading a lot of harry potter out loud um which has been kind of fun nice yeah you do the voices right um some some voices Mm. um how how committed are you to doing voices for harry potter uh as committed as i am to doing character voices for Dungeons and Dragons, which is a hundred percent. Okay. All right. Um, I did today. I committed to a voice for Dolores Umbridge. So, um, that is a bold one. Yeah. But a good one to choose. Uh huh. Yeah. So, but a lot of, a lot of the characters I don't really do like really do voices Mm. for. Yeah, the throwaway um, characters. Yeah, I get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, I also seldom feign a British accent. Mm, okay, because I'm not very good at that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's how you get better. Um, do do you get better by pretending to have a British accent by yourself, y- y- alone in you know, like with with no British speakers nearby? Like, well, you get better at feeling like you have a good British accent. <laughs> I will. I will. I think that's the problem. I will make that statement. (laughs) Like, don't we all know a lot of people who have a heavily used British accent that it's not really anything like a British accent at all? Sure. But do they care? No. Exactly. That's the brilliance. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, we are, we are, we are chock in the middle of the performance season. Uh, I had two week, two two performances this week, two next week, three the following week, uh, and then graduation. And then I'm, I, and then I only have one more performance after graduation. So that's that's good. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I am worn Fun. out, but. For a good reason, I guess. Yeah. But, aside from all that, we have Jeopardy! games to talk about, and what a week this was. Oh, yeah. Uh, So on Monday, May 2nd, we have the contestants Becky Benninghoff, a church organist from Woodbridge, Virginia, Adam Ilgen, a ferry boat deckhand from Lewis, Delaware, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, who is a 19-game winner at this point with $460,184. Ken is still hosting, and we get the Jeopardy! round categories Miami News Clues, You Got Next, Reptiles, from book to movie with a different title, college football history, and AT 
A and T are in quotation marks. Each correct response will start with those two letters and be two words. I knew a sports question that was a triple stumper. You knew a sports question. Which one? Uh, It was the $400 level of college football history. Uh, In 2019, this Clemson quarterback became the second true freshman to win a national title as a starter. And that's Trevor Lawrence. If you've listened to the podcast a lot, I've probably mentioned that I like married into a Clemson fan family. (laughs) So yeah, this is this is about the one college sports team I know anything about. Mm -hmm. Did you see Trevor Lawrence play? Or was that? I did. Oh, yeah. So Uh, there you go. Wait, was I there in 2019? Um, Yeah, yeah, I was. Nice. Yeah. I remembered a thing that I has remained apparently uh, an, an important fact in American history from the Miami News clues, the $1,000 clue. It was also a triple stumper, although almost not. Uh, the clue is a Miami custody battle became national news in 2000 with a struggle, struggle to keep this young boy in America. A raid by federal agents settled the issue by taking the boy and returning him to his Cuban father. They showed a picture uh, Becky ro- ro- uh, rung in and said, who is Ilian Rodriguez? But that's Ilian Gonzalez. So she remembered that it was Ilian, which is what everyone referred to him as because he's a boy and they we use mm-hmm. first names. Uh, so she didn't remember the, the last name. But I remember that. That was a that was such a I, I don't such a weird individual thing. Yeah. But apparently it has stuck around in our consciousness. Yep. Yeah. I also remembered that. Um, but that's been a while mm-hmm. now. Yeah, 22 years. Yeah. All right. Um, Daily Double number one comes up in the You Got Next category at the $800 level. And Matea finds it as the 19th pick. She has 2200 at this point to Adam's $1,400. Um, Becky's also at 2200 And... Uh, she makes it a true di- true daily double. Um, I feel like we're seeing gutsier wagering from her mm-hmm. these days. She gets the clue as state capital, Cahaba, Tuscaloosa, and then she gets it correct with what is Montgomery. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matea's in the lead with 5,800. Adam has 3,600. Becky's at 2,000. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, Congress in the 19th century, around the world, Tea Time, Famous Names, Country Music Song Titles, and A Vow of No Vowels. Yeah, so they give you a clue, and then the two, I guess all of them were two, although it doesn't have to be, uh, like two consonants that are in the word, and the, the rest of them are all vowels. Yeah, I thought these were tricky ones. Yes. I did two, or at least the the higher level ones. We didn't get to see the twelve hundred because there were three clues left on the board, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Could have been Ken's monologue at the start of the game. I know that had was mentioned before last week that maybe his monologues are uh, taking a little too long. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, some uh, one of the one of the ones that we missed in that no vowels is the sixteen hundred dollar level. The clue was an impossibly perfect spot. TP. Um, Becky tried what is tip top and Adam tried what is top, but they were looking for utopia, which is hard if there's a vowel before the first le- before the first consonant, because then mm-hmm. that opens up a whole world of possibilities. Yeah. Uh, Daily double number two is in the around the world category at the $1,600 level. It's pick number 13. 
Uh, Matea finds it as well. She's at 12,200. Adam is at 4,400. Becky is at 4,000. And she wagers 3,000. Gets the clue. More than 20,000 acres. And with at least 100 artesian springs. Alhasa Oasis is this nation's largest natural oasis. Uh, she doesn't know. She is prompted. And at the buzzer, she says what is Iraq. But that is Saudi Arabia. So she drops 3,000. And daily double number three is the 16th pick at the $800 level of tea time. I like this tea time category. And uh, Matea finds this one as well. So she finds all three daily doubles today. Uh, she has 9,600 to Adam's 6,400 and Becky's 4,000. She wagers 3,000 uh, again and gets the clue, the Beaver, the Dartmouth, and the Eleanor were the ships involved in this December 16th, 1773 incident. And she knows that is the Boston Tea Party. She, she knows her, uh, her American history pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of surprisingly well. Although, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Um, I mean, she's on Jeopardy. But as a Canadian, yeah. she knows quite a bit of American history. Yeah, it's... um. That's very impressive. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Matea is in the lead at 16,200, but Adam is within striking distance at 8,400 and Becky's at 3,200. We have the final jeopardy category theater and the clue in November, 1864, John Wilkes Booth and his brothers were fittingly part of a performance of this Shakespeare play. And uh, the Canadian was the only one to get it. Becky put what is Henry V, uh, which is not correct, and she wagered 800. Adam put what is Hamlet, which did indeed have a murder, but not, not an assassination, really. And he bet everything, and so he drops down to zero. And Matea, with a cover bet of 601, wrote what is Julius Caesar. The line Six Semper Tyrannus is from Julius Caesar, right? Is it? I think. It very well may be. I am not seeing it uh, having been in Shakespeare, although it is associated with actual assassination of Julius Caesar. Mm -hmm. Okay. Although it's not clear. I mean. Yeah, I mean, nobody wrote. Nobody was taking notes. Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess the, the Senate secretary should have been keeping minutes. <laughs> all kinds of problems when you don't keep good minutes yeah it's really it's really not acceptable I'm glad we've learned our lesson <laughs> by now so Matea wins her 20th game and ties Julia Collins all right um on Tuesday May 3rd we have the contestants Enver Casimir a history teacher from Albany California Angela Kissner, an educational consultant and tutor from Akron Ohio and Matea Roach a tutor from Toronto Ontario Canada whose 20-day cash winnings total $476,985. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, They Named a City for Him, Bible Belts, Let's Go to the Auto Shop, The Actor Really Saves the Day, Hidden Anatomy, You Have to Identify the Body Part Concealed in Each Clue, and Mrs., Miss, or Mr. I don't, I don't remember when exactly... Uh... Mateo went to that category. I is pick eight, I guess. And she tried to say the name of the category, and then she was like, Mrs. Uh, Miss, uh, the pronouns one for 200. <laughs> that was mostly 
Mm, no, the first the first three clues were companies with a Mrs. Miss or Mister in the name, mm-hmm. and then we also had Miss Manners and Mister Hyde. Yep. So rounded out. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the actor really saves the day category. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that John Krasinski rescued a drowning woman as a teenager. But are you surprised, though? Not particularly. Yeah, like I saw that, I right? was like, yeah, that seems like something that John Krasinski would do. Yeah. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch intervened <laughs> in, a mug- in a mugging. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> I, I can I can never say his name without thinking about the fact that you can really substitute like you can get very very far off base and everyone will um, know what you're and saying everyone will know yeah I've told you about the Benedict Cumberbatch name generator right no uh, yeah you can you can look it up you just google it and uh, uh, there are a number of them apparently now if you go to the first one, you get things like Brandy Buck Cabbage Patch. Budapest Toodle Snoot. Buttercup Anglerfish. <laughs> Plumber Dick Crucifix. <laughs> How is it <laughs> that all of them parse to Benedict Cumberbatch? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Bento Box Cracker Jack. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! We should... <laughs> oh. um, but he really is a, a very good actor, and I enjoy watching him in pretty much everything he does. Mm. He just has yeah. the oh yeah, he has the most playable name. Yes, <sighs> we had a, a rebound in Bible belts um, at the six hundred dollar level. David smote Goliath with these two items, both of them beginning with the same letter. And Matea tried what are a slingshot and a stone, uh, but it is a sling and a stone. And um, it was uh, it was Enver who got the the rebound on that. Yeah. So a slingshot is strung between a branch or branched sticks or something that you pull and release, whereas a sling you spin. Yeah. And if you've never seen someone use a sling, if you have ever seen the Charlie Brown Christmas. It's what Linus does with the snowball to knock the can off the fence. Mm. Can get a can get a rock going easily fast enough to kill a man. So it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the they named a city for him category at the thousand dollar level. It's pick number five. That's uh, where they started and they just went down that category. Uh, Enver finds it and he's at 1400 Matea's at 600 and angela hasn't gotten in yet uh he wagers just a thousand and gets the clue this city with a tennessee valley authority headquarters was named for america's first secretary of war and he guesses what is knoxville and that is correct for henry knox mm-hmm. so at the end of the jeopardy round Matea has gotten herself back into the lead at 7800 angela's at 200 and enver is at 6600 and we have the double jeopardy categories history Fictional characters, states other common languages, pets, easy listening, and free as a word. Matea really surprised me. Uh, The $2,000 level of easy listening. Make it easy on yourself is one of the great songs he wrote with Hal David. And she knew that was Burt Bacharach. You know, a a lot of the hype around her is she's the youngest super champion that they've had. 
the youngest to win this many games and, and so on and so forth. And she knew Burt Bacharach. That's an old person thing, but good <laughs> for her. We had Benedict Cumberbatch in the Jeopardy round and then Benedict Arnold in the double Jeopardy round. Yeah, but that one just does not, it, the Cumberbatch really brings it yeah, home. Yeah, it's the, yeah. You know, Benedict Arnold's just a D-hole. Yeah. That guy. We had one of Matea's rare-ish misses at the $1,200 level of states' other common languages. Mung is big in this state. Both the state and the language were featured in the movie Gran Torino. And Matea tried what is Minnesota. And I wonder if she just mixed up her M states. I wonder. Um, yeah. Angela got the rebound on this. It's it's Michigan. And, uh, you know, Gran Torino, Gran Torino is set in Detroit, uh, and that's, you know, sort of central to the plot of the movie. So I I assume that she remembered something about Gran Torino. It would be hard to respond to this clue without, you know, just based on Mung is big in this state. Right. Like, in, um, unless you are really familiar with that. Yeah. Although maybe she was thinking, oh, um, the gymnast. Oh. Suni Lee? Yeah, Suni Lee. There it is. Yeah. Isn't she Hmong? And, is, and she's from she is, and she's she from and she's from Minnesota. Oh, I don't know. Maybe that she? that might be. Yes. Yeah. 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 She <laughs> is. She is from. So that could that could be it. Rem- she is from Minnesota. Yeah. So I remembered. I don't know that that stuck in my head that I remember she was from Minnesota. So maybe that's how. That's the only like uh, reference point that that Matea had because I know that you know her success was big for the Hmong uh, community. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe she was thinking that. Maybe not. When we get her on the podcast, we'll ask her. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that I bet that could be it. Uh, that state's other common languages category is where we find the second Daily Double as the third pick at the $800 level. And Matea finds this one. She has 8600 to Enver's 6600 and Angela's 200 She wagers 2000 and gets the clue, this Native American language is the third most commonly spoken one in both Arizona and New Mexico, and she gets it correct with Navajo. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of Anna Key Garcia uh, mm, the yeah. first time she was on our podcast. Uh, Daily Double number three is almost at the end of the round. It's pick number 29 at the $1,600 level of pets. Uh, Matea also finds this one. Uh, she is up to 22600 Angela is still at 600 and Enver is at 9800 And she does some quick math to figure out how much she can wager, and she wagers 2000 And gets a clue, as its very name speaks of sun-kissed islands, don't let this little songbird catch cold. And she gets correct with what is a canary. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Matea is in a lock position with 24,600. Enver's at 9,800. Angela's at 600. And we have the final Jeopardy category, National Anthems. And the clue, Terre de Noiseu follows the title in the French version of this anthem. Uh, Angela tries, what is God Save the Queen? Uh, That is not correct. Um, She has wagered nothing, um, so she stays at 600. Enver got it correct with what is O Canada. He's wagered 8,000. Um, Ken seemed surprised that he'd wagered big, but like, you know, why not? Um, mm-hmm. uh, it takes him up to 17,800. Which feels um, better to end the game with that much than to yeah. just bet zero. Yeah. Yeah. And Matea 
uh, does know the national anthem of her own country, as well as pretty much everything about the United States. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> uh, so she has what is O Canada and a $4,999 wager, which unless I'm missing something that looks like the most she could do without risking her lock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that brings her to 29,599 and gives her her 21st win. Yeah. So we go to Wednesday, May 4th, and we get the contestants Jamie Sisson, a fair and responsible banking manager from Madison, Mississippi. Kelly Flynn, a high school English teacher from Exeter, New Hampshire, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose 21-day cash winnings are now $506,584. Now, just real quick, a fair and responsible banking manager. I assume that that is, like, a specific title, not just... Not just her, like, throwing shade at other banking managers, but, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know. I don't know. If if that's your game, go for it. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I, I really enjoyed hearing her job title. Yeah. Although it, it, it was it was funny to uh, to think of it as, like, Johnny Gilbert's asse- uh, assessment <laughs> of her. This one, though. <laughs> Unlike the other banking managers I've introduced. We've, we've had banking managers, but this one is fair and responsible. <laughs> That is a Johnny Gilbert guarantee. All right. Uh, so for the Jeopardy round, we get Keep It Up With NASA, New York State History, The Reality of TV, Hundreds, A, My Name Is, with A in quotation marks, and Prefixed Pairs, which are two words that have the same prefix. Mm-hmm. I can only assume that Matea listened to my deep dive about Anais Nin. I can only assume. Because- That's the only way I knew it. Uh, that was at the $1,000 level of A, my name is. The clue was Cities of the Interior, author Ms. Nin. Mm-hmm. It's fun It's fun to see things come back up. Yes, which is why we mention it. Yeah. Pretty much every time. <laughs> uh, oh, that's right. The first, first clue. Keep it up with NASA oh, yeah. at the $200 level. In 2016, NASA detected this key-to-life element in a comet's tail, suggesting that comets may have brought it to Earth. Uh, Matea guessed what is oxygen... Jamie guessed what is water, taking the more, like, Greek approach to what an element is. And Kelly guessed what is nitrogen. <clears throat> but that's carbon. And Ken joked that that's the end of Jeopardy. Everyone is 200 in the red and game's over. <laughs> Which I like. We'll have, our, we'll have our billing department contact you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you all us that a classic Simpsons moment. Yeah. Your, your favorite movie? Was in the hundreds category. Yes, it was at the six hundred dollar level. <laughs> mm-hmm. This movie about the Battle of Thermopylae was based on a Frank Miller graphic novel, and uh, Matea, I guess, also is familiar with Three Hundred. Because um, it's a good movie. Because it's a good. It is. It's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in the prefixed pairs category at the eight hundred dollar level. And Kelly finds it as the 11th pick. She has 400 at this point. Um, Matea is in the lead with 2,800. Jamie is at zero. And uh, she wagers 1,000 and gets the clue, a substance taken to counteract poison and a rival religious figure like Felix V in the 15th century. And she gets it correct or correct enough with what are anti-venom and anti-pope. Uh, they were looking for antidote, I think, mm-hmm. but anti-venom is a thing. Acceptable, that fits, yeah. It, it fits, yeah. Yeah. 
So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matea is at 7,000, Kelly's at 3,000, Jamie's at 2,600, and we have the double Jeopardy categories. It's your top 40 presidential countdown, Africa, I created that fictional place, world currencies, the movies, and these words mean no offense. I do like how if you say no offense before something, you can just absolutely rip on someone. It's That's the rule, right? You said mm-hmm. no offense, and therefore you can be really as rude as you want. Yeah. I mean no offense by this very offensive thing I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you're offended, it's your own fault. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners know that that's not how it works. But it... Uh, In, uh. That's a good thing we should point out. In case you did think that you can just get away with it by saying yeah. no offense. <laughs> That's not how it works. It's. I mean, I think they. I think they know, but like you would think everyone would know, and yet, and yet, and yet, we still have the issues we have. The four hundred dollar level of the movies um, feels like it. Like was such a flash in the pan that like the clue got written, used, and like was all like was already kind of. I. I don't know. I mean, all right. So the clue is Meryl Streep played President. Orlean ignoring the approach of a world-destroying comet in this 2021 comedy. And Matea got that one. It's Don't Look Up, um, which was everywhere for like a week. And now it feels like it was a million years ago. Yeah, they snuck it in right before Oscar time. Yeah, that's what it was. And then the Oscars happened and you didn't have to talk about it anymore. Yeah. The It's Your Top 40 Presidential Countdown category was kind of fun. Um, it was fun. You're right. It was fun. Yeah. They tried to um, present clues about presidents as if they were hit songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had a big debut with Back to Normalcy, but now he's singing the blues with Teapot Dome Got Me Down at number 29. Here's, and Matea got this one, it is Harding. Yes. They missed the $800 clue, though. He's at number 30 with John Cage's 4 minutes, 33 seconds, a piece that is 4 minutes and 33 seconds of silence. I think I think they were trying to figure out, oh, who is number 30, rather than paying attention to the silent part. That's Calvin Coolidge. Mm-hmm. Although, I will get pedantic about this. 4 minutes and 33 seconds is not 4 minutes and 33 seconds of silence. It is a piece that is created by the ambient sounds that occur wherever it is performed for that four minutes and 33 seconds. That is, that is some pedantry. It is. That's high high quality pedantry. Thank Thank you. Thank you. But it is, it was John Cage's intention. It is not silence. It is whatever happens during that time. Yeah. Do you think that if you were opening like a cough drop during Mm -hmm. 433, you would get like shushed by an usher? Um, no, probably not. Okay. Although, I don't know. It depends on how They'd much have to train the ushers on it. They would have to train the ushers. Because <coughs> that, sh- that should be... Well, then... Actually, no. I don't know. Because then the shushing would be part of the piece. Yeah. So, like, where do you draw the line on what's acceptable? Mm-hmm. Mm. And I'm pretty sure John Cage is dead, so we can't ask him. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Daily Double number two is in the world currencies category at the $1,600 level. It's pick number five. Matea uncovers it she's at nine thousand. kelly's at 2200 jamie's at 2600 and she wagers 3000 and gets the clue like their shared neighbor sri lanka and pakistan use currencies called this and she gets correct with what is the rupee um daily double number three is 
in these words mean no offense at the $1,200 level. And uh, Kelly finds this one at the 28th pick. She's at negative 600 at this point. Matea's at 28,400. Jamie's at 5,000. And she wagers 2,000, which is the absolute right move and gets the clue. This eight letter word is made up of a prefix from Greek meaning sharp and another word that means someone of low intelligence. And she can't think of it, but oxymoron is what they're looking for here. Mm-hmm. I would, I, I think I would argue with you that 2000 is the right move there. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's required. If she gets it wrong, that requires her to get both of the remaining oh, clues on that's the board a good point. in that's order a good to get point. out of the hole. Oh yeah, I think I think you're right. So I would have I would have said one thousand would be your maximum because then yeah, well no because then less she can than recover. 1, because zero is still out. Yeah, so nine hundred ninety nine or something so that, like that. Yeah, so that if she gets either of if she misses and gets either of these, yeah, she's because she's not going to. Matea has a lock. There's no chance. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, she's not she's not <clears> even going to make it into. She could make it into contention for second, maybe. If if she were to yeah if she were to get both but like if you're just playing to get in the final I would I would have done less than a thousand but that's me but uh, yeah she does not get either of the remaining two clues anyway so it's a moot point uh, and at the end of the double jeopardy round Matea is in a lock position at twenty eight thousand four hundred Kelly is at negative twenty six hundred and Jamie is at sixty six hundred we get the final jeopardy category the Civil War. And the clue, a Union soldier's song, said General McClellan, who let a Confederate army escape after this battle, was too slow to beat him. And, man, my brain was like, all right, think of your Civil War songs. Let's start going through the songs you know to figure out what battle they're talking about. Uh, but all you have to do is look at the words. <laughs> like, um, They both got it correct. Jamie wrote, what is Antietam? A little bit misspelled, pretty close, pretty close to, I would say, not being acceptable. She spelled it with a D instead of a T Mm -hmm. at the end, or as the second thing. Yeah. Uh, But they they accepted it, and she bet it all, because why not? So she goes up to 13,200. Matea bet nothing, apparently not feeling too confident in the Civil War, even though she apparently knows everything about America anyway. And she also wrote, what is Antietam? And then in parentheses, because it rhymes. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Which is, I mean, good job couching it in case it's wrong and people are like, no, how could you think it's Antietam? Uh, but yeah, so she also gets correct and she wins her 22nd game. So on Thursday, May 5th, we have the contestant Sarah Snyder, a middle school humanities teacher from Fishers, Indiana. TJ Lovejoy, a mortgage lender from Chandler, Arizona. And Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada whose 22-day cash winnings total $534,984. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, art, the Napoleonic Wars, a gluten-free category, American grab bag, name that sport, and now for the secret word. That art category was very challenging for Jeopardy round. I, yeah, category, I'd agree for I a Jeopardy round. Yeah. Yes. Um, three of the questions were triple stumpers. Um, and like the 200 and 400 were George Seurat and uh, El Greco, which, you know, are totally valid Jeopardy knowledge. But like, I don't know, a 200 and 400, I'm expecting kind of 
maybe slight like these are these are like pr- pretty famous but like not like your not like top 10 names you know right um, it's not picasso it's right not yeah Andy yeah Warhol. i think yeah i think i think at a 200 dollars level i'm expecting to see like picasso like monet i don't know sure so so yeah i just i felt like this was it was like a double jeopardy category in yeah. the jeopardy round you know i would i would agree with that the six hundred dollar clue was a triple stumper. Moving from Europe to New York in nineteen forty, Pete Mondrian cut loose and painted two major works whose titles contain this rhyming music style. Uh, that's boogie woogie. Which, if you look at Mondrian's boogie woogie, uh, Broadway, Broadway boogie woogie in uh, nineteen forty three, uh, it does not look like boogie woogie. <laughs> it's it's very Pete Mondrian, so it's very uh, geometric. And it, it is not how I would describe Boogie Woogie, but apparently he does. So hmm. you can you can look it up on, on the internets and find yeah. it. The gluten-free category was clever, I thought. I thought so, the yeah. Clues, uh, every correct response sounds like it would have gluten, but it doesn't. Although I would argue uh, the $600 level, this actor won't trigger your celiac disease. That's Will Wheaton. They showed a picture. You don't know that. Hmm. <laughs> I would argue we don't know that. He might be full of gluten. He also might not. I like Will mm. Wheaton. Yeah. He did a tabletop game series on YouTube, uh, which was which was and still is very entertaining. I don't know if he still does more uh, of those videos, but it's worth yeah. watching if you like tabletop games. Mm-hmm. I do. I've, uh, I've heard good things about that, but I have not watched it. All right. Daily Double number one is in American Grab Bag. At the $600 level. Pick number 12, and Sarah finds it. She is at 2200 Matea is at 200 And TJ is at 400 Big lead for Sarah. Mm-hmm. That is not uh, Matea. And she wagers 2000 Gets the clue, this icon that strikes an E-flat has words on it like Pennsylvania, which was an accepted spelling at the time, and it's spelled with one N. Uh, and she gets it right with what is the Liberty Bell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round... Matea is at 5,000. TJ is still at 400, but Sarah has maintained her lead uh, and is at 8,000. And we get the double jeopardy categories astronomy, describing the Pulitzer fiction winner, Trustfall, It's TV Mother's Day, Cross That Bridge, and Come to It, uh, with it in quotation marks. I think I've said on the podcast before that I've been trying to read all of the Pulitzer fiction winners over the last few years. Um, I'm kind of working backward, Mm. um, which paid off for me in the, in the um, describing the Pulitzer fiction winner category. How many of those did you, uh, I knew I have read, oh my gosh, not that many. Uh, I have read two of them, Mm. 2015 and 2007. And I am, I'm not reading exactly in reverse chronological order because, like, library holds. And mm-hmm. also, like, when I try and make myself some read something that I'm not in the mood to read, um, that's when I stop reading altogether. And I'm like, oh, yes, the book I'm currently reading is this one. And last week I read one page. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And this week I read zero pages. Um, anyway, but right now I'm reading Beloved, which is the $800 level of describing the Pulitzer fiction winner. Um, and it is, it is very powerful. And I am sort of, sort of dreading getting to the uh, $2,000 
1980,000-page Executioner's Song by Norman Mailer. But mm-hmm. um, but beloved, I'm I'm enjoying a lot. Good. Yeah. Although nice. although it's you know heavy. It is heavy. Yes. Yeah. You you enjoy it because it is well written. Yes, exactly. And a powerful story, not because mm-hmm. it is fun. Yep. It is. It is not a fun read. Yeah. The sixteen hundred dollar level, all the light we cannot see. Uh, the twenty fifteen uh, Pulitzer fiction winner was beautiful Hmm. novel really 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 enjoyed that one the road was also good but you know bleak Hmm. uh daily double number two comes up in the cross that bridge category which i think uh was not the contestant's favorite matea got the rebound at the 800 nobody knew the 1200 dollar level the 800 was uh identifying the Tower Bridge as opposed to the London Bridge, which was Sarah's guess. Anyway, uh, nobody attempts the 1200 and so it's still Matea's board, and she calls for the $1,600 level of Cross That Bridge, and that's where we find Daily Double number 2 as the 15th pick. Matea has 8600 at this point. Sarah is ahead of her with $10,000. Um, TJ's at negative 2400 And Matea wagers 2000 Um uh, looking to take a slim lead and gets the clue, you'll have to wait to cross the Forbes Avenue Bridge in this city. It collapsed in 2022, just before a presidential visit about infrastructure. Uh, I remember oh, this. I, I missed this news item. She says, oh my gosh, what is Miami? That's not correct. They were looking for Pittsburgh here. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh being a city of bridges. Mm-hmm. Just wonderfully ironic. And Daily Double Number 3 is in the Trust Fall category at the $1,200 level. Uh, Sarah finds this one at pick number 26. She has held on to a lead this whole time. She's at 17600 Matea is at 11400 And TJ is at negative 2000 uh, And she wagers 5000 Looking to get into a locked position. I like it. And gets a clue... This four-word phrase was used back in 1984 as Continental Illinois National Bank and Trust was rescued by the government due to its size. And uh, she takes a bit, but she gets it correct with what is too big to fail. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Sarah has the lead with 22,600. Um, and Matea is trailing with 13,000. TJ is in the red. He has been trying to get it out of the red uh, and has managed to um, dig himself in further. So he's at negative 3,600. Uh, just a rough day for him. Uh, we have the final Jeopardy category, 20th Century Cinema. And the clue, a black and white newsreel in this film begins in Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure dome decree. Matea knows this one. She says, what is Citizen Kane? And then in parentheses, if this is it, thanks for the fun. She's wagered 12999 uh, So all but a dollar, which brings her up to 25999 And Sarah did not know it. Uh, yeah. Uh, she just has what is and then a question mark. She says, I've never seen Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you need to have seen Citizen Kane 
to know this answer. I feel like this is like if you were to study, study Citizen yeah. Kane for a little bit, um, as opposed to watching the whole movie, um, this is probably one of the facts that you would come across. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Citizen Kane's home is known as Xanadu. Anyway, um, she's wagered 5,000, which drops her down to 17,600. Um, and you can like see Matea register that she's pulled off this win. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a pretty spectacular moment. Uh, And so Matea gets her 23rd win. Yeah. Yeah. She does. And that takes us to Friday when we have the contestants, Danielle Moore, a digital marketing manager from Peachtree Corners, Georgia. Betsy Hobbs, a senior operations manager, originally from Thornton, Illinois. And Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose 23-day cash winnings are just now $560,983. We have the Jeopardy round categories, Modern Royalty, Ethnic Groups, Padding the Show, International Computer Glossary, Two First Names, and New to the OED. Two First Names was fun. I always enjoy those. Yeah. Just like, I don't know, fun little things. Although Matea had a good guess that was wrong at the $800 level, he pitched seven no-hitters in his career, a record that still stands. She said, who is Satchel Page? Which, uh, Page is the first name, um, but yeah. I don't believe Satchel Page has seven no-hitters. That was Nolan Ryan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Betsy got that that rebound. I liked seeing Matea get the $1,000 level of padding the show. The clue was The clue there was, drop the ist from a word for a boxer. And you have this type of padded stick used to simulate fighting with bayonets. Uh, and they had a picture of people doing this kind of fighting. And Matea rang in and said, what is pugil? And that was correct. And she said, all right, I learned something new today. Um, and I, I had had that same thought, but that I didn't know what a term for a boxer that ended with ist would be if it wasn't pugilist. And so I think I would have rung it, rung in and said pugil. Um, but I had never heard of the object in question. Yeah, me um, yeah. yeah. It's fun when you can kind of back it out like that. Daily Double number, number one comes up in the International Computer Glossary category at the $600 level. And Danielle finds it at the 28th pick. So we're coming right down to the end of the round here. She has 2800 to Matea's 8000 and Betsy's 200 she makes it a true daily double and gets the clue. It's literally Porta Sul Retro, but Italian hackers use this English term. And she figures it out. It is a backdoor. Yeah. I had translated that. I was like, okay, it's a backdoor. But is there another term for a backdoor that in English that people use? Yeah. So I was I was a little hesitant on on that response, but Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't I didn't immediately think of it as a as a hacking term, although I guess it sort of makes sense. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matea is in the lead with seventy eight hundred, Betsy's at two hundred, Danielle's at fifty six hundred, and we have the double Jeopardy categories World Geography, Historical Fiction, Protestants. Our brands on that 4N, uh, each response will include the letter N exactly four times, and affairs. Foreign affairs. Mm-hmm. That's the, the pun there. Yep. 
Protestants went fine for me. I'm sure no one will be surprised to hear. <laughs> I, I am not surprised, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, though they missed a... I guess it's a, like it should be a Pavlov if you have looked into it. Uh, at the $1,600 level, John and Charles Wesley founded this ism in the 18th century. That's Methodism. Wesleyan, like Wesleyan and Methodism should go hand in hand. Yep. In your brain. Even if, like me, you don't actually know what really separates Methodism from some other types of like Protestantism. But mm-hmm. but I know that John Wesley yeah. was the guy. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing to know there. Hmm. Affairs turned out to be entirely about film and television and not mm. about any like real life scandals or extramarital affairs right which was nice because then it didn't feel too icky yep daily double number two is in the world geography category it's at the 1600 dollar level pick number six uh matea finds it she is at 10,600, Betsy's at 200, and Danielle is at 5,200, and she wagers 3,000. And the clue is one island in the Lesser Antilles is Antigua, and they showed a map. Another is this, named for the French for eel, after its shape. And uh, Matea gives it a bit of a bit of a, a, a accent, I guess. She says, like, what is Anguilla? And Ken says Anguilla. Yes. Or Anguilla. <laughs> Um, which not sure how they pronounce it there, but yeah, I don't know. Covered a couple of different options there, but they accepted it. Yeah, and daily double number three is in the four N category at the two thousand dollar level, and Danielle finds this one at the twentieth pick. She has seventy two hundred at this point to Matea's seventeen thousand six hundred and Betsy's twenty six hundred. She wagers 5,000 and gets the clue, the event where Mary found out the Holy Spirit was going to help her conceive. And it takes her quite a while, but she gets there just in the nick of time with what is the Annunciation. Mm -hmm. That turns out to be a a critical split second there where she started Uh saying the correct response before the timer went off. Um, because at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Matea is at 19,200, Betsy's at 7,400, and Danielle is at 11,400, so it's not a runaway. And we get the Final Jeopardy category USA, which Ken reminds us beforehand. Was it this one? I don't remember. I don't remember. I think he did it twice in this twice. game. Twice. I think he did it on, like, the national anthems one and then also on this one yeah Yeah. reminding viewers that these clues are written months in advance and randomized so there's no way of knowing who's going to be the contestants when these these clues come up Mm -hmm. we get the clue these two mayors gave their names to a facility built on the site of an old racetrack owned by coca-cola magnate asa candler man i had a hard time parsing this one yeah because i was like is the facility a racetrack? I kept uh-huh. thinking it was a racetrack. I kept thinking mm-hmm. they're asking for a racetrack, but no, they're not. They're asking for a plot of land that used to be a racetrack owned by the owner of Coca-Cola, and that should point you to Atlanta or Georgia, which is convenient for the Georgian. Uh, Betsy mm-hmm. wrote, who are Mavery and Jorbles? Uh, Ken made a comment about cats. Are those are those characters in Cats? They're not. I think he was just making, <laughs> making a clip. F- okay. 
Yeah, okay, that's wrong, and she wagered 7,000. Uh, Danielle gets it right, who are Hartsfield and Jackson, which apparently are where the name for the airport comes from. And uh, Matea got it incorrect with who are Churchill and Downs, going in the direction I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. But that is incorrect. Danielle had wagered 4,200, which put her up to 15,600. And Matea made a cover bet of 3601, which dropped her to 15,599. Mm-hmm. Yay, good wagering. This is great wagering. There will be people who are like, oh, Matea wagered a little too big. She did not. She absolutely did not. She wagered exactly correctly. And Danielle figured out what Matea was going to do and wagered accordingly, which was her best play. That's right. Yes. Which she explained. Then uh, there was a, they have the, the, the like after the credits clip um, that mm-hmm. you can watch and Danielle explains her reasoning. Yeah. I, I did not see that, but I, I knew her reasoning. Right. Because. <laughs> because it's good. Because it is good reasoning, right? Like when Jeopardy scores end up like $1 apart, I think that um, sometimes the casual viewer is like, oh, Somebody only made a terrible a mistake because it's only by a dollar. Like, no, right. no, no, like, no, 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 no. It's good wagering strategy. And often <laughs> mm-hmm. that is the way it will turn out, you know, if, if the strategy is, is properly executed. Yep. Like in my uh, quarterfinal game in the Tournament of Champions, mm-hmm. I got second place in that game by only a dollar. And I had, there are a lot of people at, a lot of people at work who are like, oh, man. Just by a dollar. You missed out by a dollar. I'm like, no, I missed out by whatever Gilbert wanted to wager. He just only bet a dollar more than what I could do. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it doesn't, the dollar didn't matter. Dollar didn't matter at all. Yeah. I will say, like, Matea, Matea's cover bet is correct and good strategy. If you are in Matea's position and you are totally confident that you know what the second place player is going to do right like if Mm -hmm. you you know if you just know that that they're gonna wager to land at fifteen thousand six hundred on the assumption that you will be making a cover bet and if you miss you will land at fifteen five ninety nine right like if you're in first place and you are like are really really sure that you know what the second place player is going to do you can make what's called a second order wager and wager smaller than they think you're going to so that even if you miss you land above where they're going to land but, but that's, that's risky it's that's risky. very risky because it's you've been on stage risky. especially matea she's been on stage the whole time she has not had a chance to hang out with the other contestants and even mm-hmm. have the possibility of talking about wagering strategy yeah or anything and statistically your best shot is to do a cover bet because it's yeah. like if you get it right you guarantee the win right exactly so, yeah so you like you could do that if you feel again like you said if you feel that that's that's what's going to happen you can play that game, but the but it's a, <laughs> it's a choice to play mind games instead of trivia you know right. which is which is a valid strategy strategy decision you know mm-hmm. um, but it's risky it is risky um, especially and- especially if they do bet it all and get it right and you also got it right but you bet like you know too small too right? small and then you lose. Just yeah, and then you end up losing that way. It's yeah, ooh, that that ooh, is so. a, that is a that is a very embarrassing loss, right? Like mm-hmm. where you like where you're like I'm gonna I'm gonna play a mind game and like yeah no and oops That's, definitely yep. backfired. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, we have come to the end of Matea's 
record-breaking run. 23 yeah. games, 560,000. Incredible. Well done, yeah. Matea. Really well done. And these last these last two finishes um, were really, really in, in, enjoyable Final Jeopardies to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, So, uh, but like remarkable run from Matea. Um, yes. Yeah, she did so great. So really proud did. of her. Yes, she, she did great. <laughs> um, I realized I have no standing to be proud of her, um, but like I don't Still, know. Well, yeah, you, whatever. If you, uh, yeah, you feel you have positivity. Yeah. Me. So that's uh, that's the end of the week. We will have a new Jeopardy champion on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danielle will come back, and we'll see how she does. Yeah. So this is the time in the episode when we remind you that we have a patreon it is patreon.com slash potent potables you can go there to find a bit of exclusive content uh, mostly we've been putting up the quiz questions uh, except when i forget sorry guys it's okay i've also i'm pretty sure i've missed at least one but we do our best that's really what it's about we do our best and um as we uh continue to move forward we will continue to use the patreon for uh, exclusive content and it is where you can go to support us financially. You can slide us a few bucks a month if you feel so inclined. Uh, it helps us pay for, you know, the the hosting fees and the domain and all the stuff that we have to pay for uh, in order to run the podcast. So that would be great if you could do that. And if you can't or just don't want to, we still encourage you to look uh, toward opportunities in our world to uh, support important movements and gosh as time goes on there just seem to be more and more um but the ones that we have been talking about for a while are blacklivesmatter.com communityjusticeexchange.org uh the stop aapi hate gofundme and rescue.org uh and uh, i don't know about you emily but given recent events this week uh with a particular court um, we may be looking into uh, other <laughs> things to add to our list yep. to support reproductive rights. Um, not to get too political, but I mean, the statistics say that most likely everyone who listens anyway is like kind of in general agreement about it. So, yep. Uh, yeah. oh, speaking of not getting too political, oh. there will be a, a quiz question that I'm very excited about. Anyway, oh, <laughs> speaking of that, Emily, do you have deep yes. dive guesses? Um, are we talking about Algerhis? Holy God, how do you just <laughs> do it? I mean, I will say there were not many, cl- like, triple stumpers this week that I felt like that would be a good thing to try to do a deep dive on. That but was, man. like, the throwaway one before I guessed what I thought was going to be the real one, which was the James Webb telescope. No, I'm not talking about it. Yeah, okay. I'm talking about Alger Hiss because I didn't know anything about Alger Hiss. I'm like, I've heard that name. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't either. And like, I know nothing. Yeah. So. so, yeah, I'm talking about Alger Hiss. Congratulations. Uh, cool. So, listener, if you're like, I don't know who that is. Cool. Neither did I. Uh, it was the $2,000 clue in Famous Names. Well, apparently not so famous because it was also a triple stumper. They showed a picture. This former State Department official and accused spy leaves court in 1949 during one of his perjury trials. A big Cold War story. And that was Alger Hiss. When I think of, like, Soviet spies, I think of the uh, uh, Rosenbergs. Was that yeah. the names? Like, yeah. And I, I think of some others, but Alger Hiss is apparently a name to know. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about him and about uh his like trial and that and then we will have ourselves a quiz 
So Alger Hiss was one of five children born in Baltimore, Maryland to Minnie Lavinia and Charles Alger Hiss. Both parents came from substantial Baltimore families. A really important uh, moment in Alger's life was when he was two years old. Uh, his father committed suicide after suffering some serious uh, business failures and uh, essentially becoming insolvent in 1907. He was two years old, so obviously it affected him, but it wasn't until later that he uh, learned the truth of uh, the circumstances of his father's passing, and he kind of took it on himself from that point on to restore the family's good name. So he always was uh, a bit of a melancholy child, obviously that can happen, but his uh, his mother, coming from a well-off family, was able to continue to support uh, them throughout their childhood. Uh, in 1929, he received his law degree from Harvard Law School, where he was a <laughs> protege of Felix Frankfurter, the future U.S. Supreme Court Justice, which I was not aware that we had a Justice Frankfurter. Mm-hmm. Oh, the jokes. Oh, the jokes. Anyway, uh, he served as a clerk for a year to Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., uh, and then he joined the Choate Hall and Stewart Law Firm in Boston and then moved to New York, where he joined Cotton, Franklin, Wright, and Gordon. During FDR's presidency, during the New Deal, he became a government attorney in 1933. He briefly served at the Justice Department and became an assistant on the Senate's Nye Committee, which was officially known as the uh, Special Committee on Investigation of the Munitions Industry, uh, investigating cost overruns and alleged profiteering by military contractors during World War I. Gosh, that's glad we fixed that. That, that seems resolved. Yeah, for sure. He also served as uh, an investigator and then a legal assistant to the Nye Committee from 1934 to 1935, when he uh, apparently very, very aggressively cross-examined uh, DuPont officials uh, Bernard Baruch, which just kind of put him on put him on the opposite side of the like big names in capitalism. Uh, he made the bosses angry. Hmm. Uh, in 1936. Alger and his younger brother, Donald, began working under Cordell Hull in the State Department, and he became the special assistant to the director of the Office for Far Eastern Affairs. Uh, in 1944, he was named director of the Office of Special Political Affairs, a policy-making entity devoted to planning for post-war international organizations. Uh, he served as executive secretary of the Dumbarton Oaks Conference, uh, which was an international conference at which proposals for the establishment of a general international organization uh, was were were put forward. Uh, this was the future or the plan for the future United Nations. In February 1945, as a member of the U.S. delegation, he attended the Yalta Conference, which was the big important conference where the big three uh, decided uh, how they were going to carve up Europe. After the war, his participated in the meetings uh, where the American draft of the Declaration of Liberated Europe was created, and uh, he stated that he was responsible for assembling background papers and documentations for the conference, and that any general matters that might come up relating to the Far East or the Near East uh, from his his experience. Uh, he was Secretary General of the United Nations Conference on International Organization, the convention that created the UN Charter, which was held in San Francisco from April 25th, 1945 to June 26th. Alan Weinstein wrote that Andrei Gromkio, the Soviet delegate to the conference, praised Hiss 
uh, for his impartiality and fairness. Uh, Hiss later became full director of the State Department's Office of Special Political Affairs. In 1946, he left government service to become president of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, where he served until May 1949, the end of the presidential term to which he had been elected. This brings us to 1948, which is when accusations of espionage emerge. Uh, On August 3rd, 1948, Whitaker Chambers, an American writer-editor and a former Communist Party member, appeared before the House Committee on Un-American Activities. Great. And he denounced Alger Hiss. He had previously written a scathingly satirical editorial critical of the Yalta agreements, and he asserted that he had known Hiss as a member of an underground organization of the United States Communist Party in the 1930s. Uh, Chambers called that group the Ware Group, and that they had been organized by agriculturist Harold Ware, uh, who was an American communist. I was trying to guess what what meaning of where we were we were on here, like <laughs> no, we're, like werewolf, like W A R E, named yeah. after yeah Harold Ware. Ware okay, um, gotcha. Who was uh, a communist intent on organizing black and white tenant farmers in the American South against exploitation and debt peonage by the cotton industry, which I don't know from this my perspective now that doesn't sound too bad, uh, but whatever. Chambers said that the purpose of the group at that time was not primarily espionage. Uh, its original purpose was the communist infiltration of the American government, but espionage was certainly one of its eventual uh, objectives. Rumors had circulated about his since 1939, when Chambers uh, had gone to the Assistant Secretary of State Adolf A. Burrell and accused Hiss of belonging to an underground communist cell. Uh, Chambers repeated these uh, this allegation in 1942, And in 1945, two other sources appeared to implicate Hiss, a 26-year-old Ukrainian named Igor Guzenko, who had served as a a clerk at the Soviet embassy in Ottawa, and then defected from the Soviet Union. And in exchange for asylum, Guzenko offered to the Canadian authorities uh, evidence about Soviet espionage activity, working to acquire information about nuclear weapons. And uh, Hiss was part of that, uh, was named in that. Uh, in response to Chambers' accusations, Hiss protested that his protested his innocence and insisted on appearing before the before Huac uh, to clear himself. So he did testify on August fifth, nineteen forty eight. He denied having ever been a communist or ever having personally met Chambers. The committee was reluctant to proceed with its investigation against Hiss because Hiss was a big name. He had been very prominent in the founding of the UN and things like that. So Truman was was saying was pressuring the committee not to to follow up. However, Richard Nixon, who was a congressman at that time, wanted to press on. Um, He had received secret information about the FBI's suspicions and eventually was voted uh, by the committee as a chair of a subcommittee that would seek to determine who was lying, Hiss or Chambers, on the question of whether they knew each other. So uh, this is where Hiss's trial and, and like testimony comes to like what eventually becomes perjury. So he was shown a photograph of Chambers and he conceded that the face might look familiar and asked to see Chambers in person. So they met in person in a New York hotel uh, and Hiss admitted that he had indeed known Chambers, but under the name George Crossley, a man who represented himself as a freelance writer. Hiss said that in the mid 1930s, he had sublet his apartment to this Crossley and had given him an old car. Chambers, for his part, denied on the stand ever having used the alias Crossley, though he admitted to Hiss's lawyers in private that it could have been one of his many pen names. 
When Hiss and Chambers both appeared before the HUEC subcommittee on August 17th, 1948, they had the following exchange. Hiss, did you ever go under the name George Crossley? Chambers said, not to my knowledge. Hiss asked, did you ever sublet an apartment on 29th Street from me? Chambers said, no, I did not. Hiss said, you did not? Chambers said, no. Hiss said, did you ever spend any time with your wife and child in an apartment on 29th Street in Washington when I was not there because I and my family were living on P Street? Chambers said, I most certainly did. To which Hiss responds, you did or did not? And Chambers says, I did. So Hiss asks, would you tell me how you reconcile your negative answers with this affirmative answer? And Chambers says, very easily, Alger, I was a communist and you were a communist. <laughs> Which, like, <laughs> doesn't make any sense, right? But whatever. Um, Chambers' statements were privileged against defamation suits because they were made in a congressional hearing, which is really interesting to me. I wonder if that's still huh. law. Yeah. Like, you can just say whatever you want in a congressional hearing and not... I, it's weird. I guess because, like, it would go, fall under perjury rather than defamation. I don't know. Whatever. Huh. Uh, however... Uh, his challenge Chambers to repeat them without the benefit of such protection, and Chambers went on to meet the press and called Hiss a communist, and so Hiss uh, filed a libel suit against him. Chambers doubled down and said he wasn't he wasn't merely a communist, but also a spy. Uh, and a variety of documents, known as the Baltimore documents, came out claiming that Hiss had given them to Chambers in 1938, and that they had a, a variety of information from the State Department. Uh, dealing with with a number of different topics uh, and that they were to be passed on to the Soviets. The big question was, from that point on, was about the typewriter that had been used. So the grand jury charged Hiss with two counts of perjury. It did not indict him for espionage uh, because the period of the statute of limitations had run out on espionage. So Hiss could not be charged for espionage from the 1930s at that point. Uh, Chambers was never charged with a crime. And Hiss went to trial twice for perjury. The first trial started on May 31st, 1949, and ended with a hung jury on July 7th. Chambers admitted on the witness stand that he had previously committed perjury several times while he was under oath, including deliberately falsifying key dates in his story. The second trial lasted from November 17th, 1949 to January 21st, 1950. At both trials, a key to the prosecution's case was testimony from expert witnesses stating that identifying characteristics of the typed Baltimore documents matched samples typed on a typewriter owned by the Hisses at the time of the alleged espionage. Um, the prosecution also presented the typewriter itself. It had been given away years earlier, but apparently had been located by the defense investigators. Uh, and this led to an 8-4 to four deadlocked jury that, according to one of Hiss's friends and lawyers, was the only time she had ever seen Alger shocked, stunned by the fact that eight of his fellow citizens did not believe him. So, uh, kind of key to the second trial, there was testimony from Hedy Massing, an Austrian-born confessed Soviet spy, who claimed that Hiss had tried to uh, kind of recruit another person named Noel Field to his ring uh, rather than her ring, of spies. Um, that testimony had not been allowed in the first trial, but it was in the second trial. This time the jury found Hiss guilty, and he was sentenced to five years imprisonment on each of the two counts to run concurrently. However, Hiss had a lot of support from like Secretary of State Dean Acheson and, you know, former President Truman, and, and he had a lot of allies. 
Uh, the verdict was upheld in the uh, Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, and the Supreme Court of the United States denied a, a wit of certiorari. So uh, this trial also gave Richard Nixon public spotlight, helping him move to the Senate and eventually to the vice presidency and then the presidency later, and also helped propel McCarthy into the spotlight as well as the, le- the head of the HUAC. He was sent to a maximum security federal facility, uh, Lewisburg Federal Prison, and he acted as a volunteer attorney, advisor, and tutor for many of his fellow inmates. After his release in 1954, he had been disbarred and he worked for a salesman, worked as a salesman for a stationery company. He remained kind of a, a figure. He he would, you know, he would go on to news programs. He'd be asked about certain things. He wrote an autobiography called Recollections of a Life, in which he maintains his innocence. Uh, and he died on November 15th, 1996 in New York City. Um, his friends and family continue in, to insist on his innocence as well. So that's that's the trial and conviction. Uh, he was convicted of perjury, not of espionage. And there are still things coming to light. Not all of the, the documents have been declassified. So um, as far as like independent investigation, we can't really know. Uh, the Soviet archives, after the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, has petitioned President Yeltsin's military advisor to go through the archives and release any files on his... And uh, the Russians claimed that there was no no record of uh, working with Hiss as as a Soviet spy. A high ranking KGB agent in 1985 uh, who defected to as a as a British double agent uh, did claim that Hiss was a very active spy and went by the code name Ailes A L E S. Um, but he has since been considered a less reliable source for a variety of reasons. There are also a, a packet of documents known as the Venona, or, or from the Venona Project, uh, which was a counterintelligence program initiated in World War II by the United States Army to to, to decrypt messages on, on the Soviet side. And various authors and, and journalists and stuff have looked into the Venona Project, as well as the Ailes uh, codename. Uh, Noel Field, who I mentioned before, is the the spy who supposedly uh, Hiss tried to recruit to his ring, uh, corroborated Hetty Massing's story. But again, this is all people saying things, and the documentation, while you know the the Baltimore paper, papers and the Venona Project and all of that, that it is perhaps evidence. There's still nothing conclusive, so we don't know. <laughs> Some people still like very much believe that he was a spy and he maintained his innocence throughout his life. So that's Alger Hiss. All right. Wow. That is so much more than I knew about Alger Hiss before this. Right. Um, and like the involvement of like Nixon in his trial is like, wow, I, d- I didn't know much about Nixon either, apparently. <laughs> yep. So, so there we go. That's Alger Hiss. Are you ready for a quiz? Always, always ready for a quiz. Okay, you have 10 points, and I will tell you that knowledge of Alger Hiss has nothing to do with this quiz. That's great, because I have none except for what I just acquired. This is a quiz about Alger and Hiss. Question one. Gromphodorina portentosa is the scientific name for what insect? It is one of about 20 similar species native to the fourth largest island in the world. They are known for audible respiration and prefer the dark to the light. Oh. Um. 
I assume this is the Madagascar hissing cockroach. It is the Madagascar hissing cockroach. Yeah. Well done. Nice. I hate those things. Yeah, but uh, they don't they don't go into human dwellings. They live in like rotted logs. So we don't have to worry about them. Because the only way they'd get into your house if it's, is if someone brought them into your house. Yeah. In the in the Madagascar exhibit of the Bronx Zoo, there is a hiss- hissing cockroach exhibit where you like you have to go into like this little kind of cubby area because because they prefer the dark, right? Mm-hmm. So like you you have to step into this little dark area where then you can look into this like human sized like window to see these like piles basically of cockroaches (laughs) my kids like to say oh mom go in there and just just you know just see what's in there i bet you're gonna like it mom and then i and then i go in and don't like it and then (laughs) and then i come out i'm like why did you trick me into going in there again oh it's Um, a fun game it's a tradition it's a a fun game it's a tradition it's our tradition at the bronx zoo uh anyway they're I'm sure they're they're very important to the ecosystem or whatever, but... But they are a Madagascar hissing cockroach. Nice. Okay. Uh, Question two. What American musician who passed away in 2017 was perhaps best known for his 1981 album, Breakin' Away? It spent two years on the Billboard Top 200 and is considered one of the finest examples of the Los Angeles pop and R&B sound. That album won the 1982 Grammy for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance. I have a feeling I will recognize the name when you say it. But I cannot think of who this could be. And I assume the answer has something to do with Alger or Hiss, because I don't think I heard either of those in the question. So I'm just going to pass. Okay, that would be Al Ah, Al Jarreau. I see what you did there. Yes, uh, his music's pretty good. It's kind of—I I don't know—I I need to listen to that album a little bit more because I like—I don't know. I, he's always seemed like easy listening to me, um, but maybe I need to check out "Break It Away." I would not have come up with that name if I had thought about this all day long. So, sure, sure. yeah. All right. Well, but maybe next time I will. Uh, okay. Question three. This, this one takes a journey. Uh-oh, okay. The, the movie Hiss, with three S's, was a major flop produced in India and nominally directed by Jennifer Chambers Lynch. Her directorial debut was 1993's Boxing Helena, and she has worked on numerous movies and television shows since then. She also penned the novel The Diary of Laura Palmer, a spinoff from what TV show? And I can give you a hint if you need one. Um, yeah, give me a hint. Uh, that show was created by her father. Um, all right. That solidifies things. Laura Palmer, I, I thought to myself, isn't that the name is like, like the Twin Peaks came to mind. And, uh, and I was like, am I, am I correct? Or am I like, it's, it's my memory failing me, but, uh, the father solidifies it. So Twin Peaks is it, my guess. It is Twin Peaks. Yes. Yay. Jennifer, Jennifer Lynch is the daughter of David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, she wrote a novel about Laura Palmer. <laughs> I have watched one half of one episode of Twin Peaks, but I've been meaning to get back to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've heard it holds up. Yeah. Um, 
uh, apparently Hiss was really bad. Apparently that movie was just uh, so bad. But uh, she's she's like, yeah, I didn't really make that movie. They they asked me to direct it. I ran some shooting, like I shot some scenes, and then they just and then the studio just took everything back to India and put it together the way that they wanted it. So hmm. it's not really my movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm like okay, okay, hmm. cool, okay. Great. All right, you are at thirty points, and you're on question four. Uh, Algiers, the capital of Algeria is built in two major sections, the modern city built near sea level, closer to the coast, and the old city built on the nearby hills. The old city is crowned by a citadel called the what? Watch what you do there, or you may clash with Sharif. Um, it's the... Is it the Casbah? It is the Casbah. <sighs> Nicely done. It is Thank the Casbah. Uh, yeah. I had some clues in there. If you didn't catch it, yes. but, but it is the Casbah, the Casbah of Algiers. Nice. Cool. Uh, you are at 40 points. And question five. Oh, okay. Um, I, <laughs> I hope I don't offend any of our listeners. It's gonna, it, it could be considered political. Just be warned. A certain serial killer who has yet to be convicted threw a hissy fit in the Bozeman, Montana airport in March because he wasn't allowed to check in for his flight after the check-in window had closed. Who is that U.S. senator? Wait. Is it it Ted Cruz? It is Ted Cruz, who I've heard is the Zodiac Killer, but I don't know. I mean, mean, there's no way of knowing, right? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> oh goodness i i uh tiktok keeps serving me a video maybe maybe this maybe people are using the sound or lip syncing the sound um that is uh someone saying you know if you if you were suffering from uh intrusive thoughts unwanted intrusive thoughts you know because of your you know your mental health stuff there's nothing in the world stopping you from tweeting all of them at ted cruz um, <laughs> Amen. Uh, which just always cracks me up. Okay. So we are at the final question, and you have 50 points. And Ooh. the category is books to film. Books to film. Well, I, f- I feel like I have to wager all of it. I'm wagering all of it. Okay. Here's your question. The Academy Award-winning film Charlie from 1968 was based on a short story slash novel by Daniel Keyes. That short story also won the Hugo Award in 1960. What is the title of that book, which deals with the ethical issues of scientific experimentation? And I can give you a hint. If... Oh, oh, I got it. Ah, ha, ha, ha. I, I had no idea until I did. It's Flowers for Algernon. It is Flowers for Algernon. Nice job. Yes, because uh, the, the main character is named Charlie, I believe. Right, yes. Um, and Algernon is the mouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Nice job. Congratulations. You have a hundred points. Woo! It's so many. So many points. Points for Uh, everyone. Yay. I'm going to take all my points. I'm going to put them with the rest of my points. Yep. Running out Uh, of room in here with all these points. (laughs) This was, this was delightful. Thank you for a great deep dive and quiz. Um, and for making a podcast with me. Thank you listeners for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
leave a rating or review if you would be so kind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy and some new champions. So Mm -hmm. until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm